0: section one of abe and morris this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org abe and morris being further adventures of potash and perlmutter by montague glass chapter one sympathy i come down on the subway with max linkheimer this morning morris Abe Potash said to his partner, Morris Perlmutter, as they sat in the showroom one hot July morning. That fellow's a regular philanthropist. I betcha, Morris replied. He would talk a tin ear onto you, if only you give him a chance. Leon Sammet too, Abe, I assure you. I seen Leon in Harlem Winter Garden last night, and the goods he sold while he was talking to me and Barney Gantz, Abe, in two seasons we don't do such a business. Yes, Abe. Leon Sammet is just such another one of them fellas like Max Linkheimer. What do you mean, such another one of them fellas like Max Linkheimer? Abe repeated. Between Leon Sammet and Max Linkheimer is the difference like day from night. Max Linkheimer's one fine man, Morris. Morris shrugged. I didn't say he wasn't. He rejoined. All I says was that Leon Sammet is another one of them phalantho fellows too, Abe. Talk to you deaf, dumb, and blind abe rose to his feet and stared indignantly at his partner i don't know what comes over you lately mawruss he cried seemingly you don't understand the english language at all a philanthropist ain't a schmoozer Morris. i know he ain't abe but just the same max linkheimer is a fellow which he got a whole lot too much to say for himself furthermore abe my Minnie says mrs linkheimer tells her max ain't home a single night neither and when a man neglects his family like that abe i ain't got no use for him at all that's because he belongs to eight lodges abe replied there ain't a single sunday neither which he ain't busy with funerals too morris is that so morris retorted well if i would be in the button business abe i would be a philanthropist too a fellow's gotta belong to eight lodges if he's in the button business abe because otherwise he couldn't sell no goods at all Abe continued. Linkheimer ain't lookin' to sell goods to Lodge Brothers, Morris. He's too old established a business for that. He's got a heart too, Morris. Why, the money that feller spends on charity, Morris, you wouldn't believe it all. He told me so himself. Always he tries to do good. Only this morning, Morris, he was telling me about a young feller by the name Shankman, which he's trying to find a position for as a stock clerk. Nobody would take the young feller on, Morris, because he got into trouble with a house in Dallas, Texas, which they claimed the young feller stole from them, a $100, Morris. But Linkheimer says, So how if you would give a dog a bad name, Morris, you might just as well give him to the dog catcher. So Linkheimer is willing to take a chance on this here feller, Shankman, and he gives him a job in his own place. Dogs I don't know nothing about at all, Abe, Morris commented. "'but I would be willing to give the young fellow a show too, Abe. "'If it only I got plain bone and metal buttons in stock. "'But when you carry a couple of hundred pieces of silk goods, Abe, like we do, "'then that's something else again.' "'Well, Morris, God say donk, we don't got to get a new shipping clerk. "'Jake has been with us for five years now, Morris, "'and so far what I can see he ain't got no ambition enough to ask for even a raise, "'let alone look for a better job.' "'You shouldn't congratulate yourself too quick, Abe.' "'Morris replied. "'Ambition he's got a plenty, "'but he ain't got the nerve. "'We really ought to give that fellow a raise, Abe. "'I mean it. "'Every time I go near him at all, "'he gives me a look. "'And the first thing you know, Abe, he would be leaving us.' "'Looks we can stand it, Morris. "'But if we would start in giving him a raise, "'there'd be no end to it at all,' Last Blybin. "'If the fellow wants a raise, Morris, "'he should ask for it.' "'Barely two weeks,' After the conversation above set forth, however, Jake entered the firm's private office and tendered his resignation. Mr. Perlmutter, he said, I'm going to leave. Going to leave? Morris cried. What do you mean, going to leave? Going to leave? Abe repeated, crescendo. An idea you should positively do nothing of the kind. It wouldn't be no more than you deserve, Jake, if we would fire you right out of the store. "'Morris added. "'You work for us five years here, "'and then you come to us and say you're going to leave? "'Did you ever hear of such a thing? "'If you want a couple of dollars more a week, "'we will give it to you, and Farthik. "'But if you get fresh and come to us "'and tell us you're going to leave, "'you understand then that's something else again. "'Must I work for you if I don't want to?' "'Jake asked. "'It's enough, Jake,' Abe said. "'We heard enough from you already.' "'All right, Mr. Potash,' he replied. But just the same, I'm telling you, Mister potash you should look for a new shipping clerk. As I bought it a candy, cigar, and stationery store on Lenox Avenue, and I'm going to quit Saturday, shore Well, Abe, what did I told you? Morris said bitterly, after Jake had left the office, for the sake of a couple of dollars a week, Abe and losing a good shipping clerk. Abe covered his embarrassment with a mirthless laugh. Good shipping clerks you can get any day of the week, Morris. He said. We ain't going to go out of business exactly, you understand, just because Jake is leaving us. I bet you if we would advertise in tomorrow morning's paper, we would get a dozen good shipping clerks. Go ahead, advertise. Morris grunted. This is your idea Jake leaves us, Abe, and now you should find somebody to take his place. I'm sick and tired of making changes in the store. Always kicking, Morris, always kicking, Abe retorted. By Saturday, I bet you we would get a hundred good shipping clerks already. But Saturday came and went, and although in the meantime, old and young shipping clerks of every degree of uncleanliness passed in review before Abe and Morris, none of them proved acceptable. All right, Abe, Morris said on Monday morning after Jake had gone. You've done enough about this here shipping clerk business. Give me a show. I ain't got such liberal ideas about shipping clerks as you got, Abe. "'But all the same, Abe, I think I can go out to business with a little system, you understand?' "'You shouldn't trouble yourself, Morris,' Abe replied, with an airy wave of his hand. "'I hired one already.' "'You hired one already, Abe?' Morris repeated. "'Well, ain't I got something to say about it, too?' "'Again, kicking Morris,' Abe exclaimed. "'You yourself told me I should find a shipping clerk, and I done so.' "'Well,' Morris cried. "'Ain't I even entitled to know the fellow's name at all?' "'Sure, you're entitled to know his name,' Abe answered. "'He's a young fellow by the name of Shankman.' "'Shankman?' Morris said slowly. "'Shankman, where did I—' "'You mean that fellow by the name Shankman who he works with Max Lenkheimer?' "'Abe nodded. "'What's the matter with you, Abe?' Morris cried. "'Are you crazy or what?' "'What do you mean, am I crazy?' Abe said. We carry burglary insurance, ain't it? And besides, he ain't Morris, Max Linkheimer says, missed so much as a button since the fellow worked for him. A button? Morris shouted. Let me tell you something, Abe. Max Linkheimer could miss a thousand buttons, and what is it? But with us, Abe, one piece of silk goods is more a hundred dollars. It's all right, Morris, Abe interrupted. Max Linkheimer says we shouldn't be afraid. He says he trusts the young feller in the office with hundreds of dollars laying in the safe, and he ain't touched a cent so far. Furthermore, the young feller's got a wife and a baby, Morris. Well, I got a wife and baby too, Abe. Sure, I know, Morris. And so you oughta got a little sympathy for the feller, eh? Morris laughed raucously. Sure, I know, Abe, he replied. A good way to lose money in business, Abe, is to get sympathy for somebody you sell a feller goods abe because he's a new beginner and you got sympathy for him abe and the feller busts up on you you accommodate a concern with five hundred dollars a check against their check dated two weeks ahead abe because their collections are slow and you got sympathy for them and when the two weeks goes by abe the check is ng he gave a feller out in Kansas City two months in extension because he had done a bad spring business, and you got sympathy for him, and the first thing you know, Abe, a jobber out in Omaha gets a judgment against him and closes him up, and that's the way it goes. If you would hire this young feller because we got sympathy for him, Abe, the least that happens to us is he gets away with a couple of hundred dollars worth of peace goods. Max Lankheimer says positively nothing of the kind, Abe insisted. Max says the fella has turned around a new leaf, and he would trust him like a brother. Like a brother-in-law, you mean, Abe? Morris cheered. That fella, Linkheimer, never trusted nobody for nothing, Abe. Always by the first of the month comes a statement, and if he don't get checked by the fifth, Abe, he sends another with past due stamped onto it. So much the better, Morris. If Max Linkheimer don't trust nobody, Morris, and he lets this young fellow work in the store, Mars, then the fella must be okay, ain't it? Morris rose wearily to his feet. All right, Abe, he said. If Linkheim is so anxious to get rid of this fella, let him give us a recommendation in writing, you understand? And if I'm satisfied, we should give this young Schenkman a trial. He could only get into us once, it, Abe. So go right over there and see Linkheimer. And if in writing he would give us a guarantee the fella's honest, go ahead and hire him. Right away, I couldn't do it, Morris, Abe said. When i left linkheimer in the subway this morning he said he was going over to newark and he wouldn't be back till tonight i'll stop in there first thing tomorrow morning with this ultimatum abe proceeded to the back of the loft and personally attended to the shipment of 10 garments to a customer in cincinnati under his supervision a stock boy placed the garments in a wooden packing box and after the first top board was in position abe took a wire nail and held it, twixt his thumb and finger, point down on the edge of the case. Then he poised the hammer in his right hand, and carefully closing one eye, he gauged the distance between the upraised hammer and the head of the nail. At length the blow descended, and forthwith Abe commenced to dance around the floor in the newborn agony of a smashed thumb. It was while he was putting the finishing touches on a bandage, that made up in bulk what it lacked in symmetry, that Morris entered. "'What's the matter, Abe?' he cried. "'You heard it yourself?' Abe transfixed his partner with a malevolent glare. "'No, Morris,' he said, as he started for the front of the store. "'I ain't hurted myself at all. I'm just tying this here handkerchief on my thumb to remind myself what a fool I got it for a partner.' Morris waited till Abe had nearly reached the door. I don't got to tie something on my thumb to remind myself of that, Abe, he said. Ever since the birth of his son, it had seemed to Morris that the Lenox Avenue Express service had grown increasingly slow. Nor did the evening papers contain half the interesting news of his early married life and he could barely wait until the train had stopped at 116th Street before he was elbowing his way to the platform. On the Monday night of his partner's mishap, he made his accustomed dash from the subway station to his home on 118th Street. Confident that as soon as his latch key rattled in the door, Mrs. Perlmutter and the baby would be in the hall to greet him. But on this occasion he was disappointed, to be sure, the appetizing odor of Gedamke's caboflae wafted itself down the elevator shaft as he entered the gilt-and-plaster periphery entrance from the street. But when he crossed the threshold of his own apartment, the robust wail of his son and heir mingled with the tones of Lena, the Slavic maid. Of Mrs. Perlmutter, however, there was no sign. "'Where's Minnie?' he demanded. "'Mrs. Promutter, she go out.' lena announced and she ain't come home yet not since the return from their honeymoon had Mitty failed to be at home to greet her husband on his arrival from business and morris was about to telephone a general alarm to police headquarters when the doorbell rang sharply and mrs perlmutter entered her hat whose size and weight ought to have lent it stability was tilted at a dangerous angle and beneath its broad brim her eyes glistened with unmistakable tears. Minnie Laban!' Morris cried, as he clasped her in his arms. "'What is it?' Sympathy only opened anew the floodgates of Mrs. Perlmutter's emotions, and before she was sufficiently calm to disclose the cause of her distress, the Gedumpfgis' cobble gave evidence of its impending destruction— by a strong odor of scorching. Hastily, Mrs. Perlmutter dried her eyes and ran to the kitchen, so that it was not until the rescued dinner smoked on the dining-room table that Morris learned the reason for his wife's tears. Such a room, Morris, Mrs. Perlmutter declared, like a pigsty and not a crust of bread in the house. I met the poor woman in the meat market, and she tried to beg a piece of liver from that loaf of Hirschkein. Not another cent of my money will he ever get. I bought a big piece of steak for her, and then I went home with her. Her poor baby Morris looked like a little skeleton. Morris shook his head from side to side and made inarticulate expressions of commiseration through his nose, his mouth being temporarily occupied by about a half a pound of luscious veal. Her husband has a job for eight dollars a week, she continued, and they have to live on that. "'Morris swallowed the veal with an effort. "'In Rusland,' he began, six people, I know,' "'Mrs. Perlmutter interrupted, "'but this is America, "'and you've got to go around with me "'right after dinner and see the poor people.' "'Morris shrugged his shoulders. "'If I must, I must,' he said, "'helping himself to more of the veal stew. "'But I could tell you right now, Minnie, "'I ain't got twenty-five cents in my clothes, "'so you got to lend me a couple of dollars "'till Saturday.' I'll cash a check for you, Mrs. Perlmutter said firmly, and as soon as dinner was concluded, Morris drew a check for $10, and Mrs. Pearlmutter gave him that amount out of her housekeeping money. It was nearly nine o'clock when Morris and Minnie groped along the dark alley of a tenement house in Park Avenue on the iron viaduct that bestrides that deceptively named thoroughfare. Heavy trains thundered at intervals, and it was only after Morris had knocked repeatedly at the door of a top-floor apartment that its inmates heard the summons above the roar of the traffic without. "'Well, Mrs. Shankman,' Minnie cried cheerfully, "'how's the baby tonight?' "'Shankman,' Morris muttered. "'Shankman? Is that the name of them people?' "'Why, yes,' Minnie replied. "'Didn't I tell you that, Mrs. Shankman? This is my husband.' And I suppose this is Mr. Shankman? A tall, gaunt person rose from the soapbox that did duty as a chair, and ducked his head shyly. Shankman? Morris repeated. You make the Shankman which he works by Max Lenkheimer? Nathan Shankman nodded, and Mrs. Shankman groaned aloud. "Ay, Zerus, she cried, for his sorrow he works by Max Linkheimer." a week, he's supposed to get there, and Linkheimer makes us live here in his house. $12 a month we pay for the rooms, lady, and Linkheimer takes $3 each week from Nathan's money. We couldn't even get dispossessed like some people does, and save a month's rent once in a while, maybe. The rooms ain't worth it, lady, believe me. Does Max Linkheimer own this house? Morris asked. Sure, he's the landlord. Mrs. Shankman went on. I'm just telling you, if eight dollars a week a man should work, ain't it a disgrace? Well, why doesn't he get another job? Morris inquired. And then, as Mr. and Mrs. Shankman exchanged embarrassed looks and hung their heads, Morris blushed. What a fine baby, he cried hurriedly. He chucked the infant under its chin and made such noises with his tongue as are popularly supposed by parents to be of a nature entertaining to very young children. In point of fact, the poor little Shankman child, with its blue-white complexion, looked more like a cold storage chicken than a human baby. But to the maternal eye of Mrs. Shankman, it represented the sum total of infantile beauty. God bless you, mister, she said. I seen you got it a good heart, and if you know Max Linkheimer, he must told you why my husband couldn't get another job. He tells everybody, lady, and makes him believe he gives my husband a job out of charity. So sure as I got a baby which I hope he would grow up to be a man, lady, my husband never took no money in Dallas. Then people give him a $100 he should deposit in the bank, and he went and lost it. If he would stole it, he would have given it to me, lady, because my Nathan is a good man. He ain't no loafer that he should gamble it away. There was a ring of truth in mrs shankman's tones and as morris looked at the twenty-eight years old nathan aged by ill-nutrition and abuse his suspicions all dissolved and gave place only to a great pity if he would stole it he would have given it to me lady don't say no more mrs shankman he cried i don't want to hear no more about it tomorrow morning Your man leaves that loaf for Max Linkheimer and comes to work for us for $18 a week. Easily the most salient feature of Mr. Max Linkheimer's attire was the IOMA jewel that dangled from the tangent point of his generous waistline. It had been presented to him by Harmony Lodge 122 at the conclusion of his term of office as National Grand Corresponding Secretary and it weighed about eight ounces, avoir du pas. Not that the rest of Mr. Linkheimer's wearing apparel was not in keeping, for he affected to be somewhat old-fashioned in his attire, with just a dash of bonhomie. This implies that he wore a wrinkled frock coat and low-cut waistcoat, but he had discarded the black string tie that goes with it, for a white ready-made bow is being more suitable to the role of philanthropist. The bonhomie he supplied, by not buttoning the two top buttons of his waistcoat. Why, hello, Abe, my boy, he cried all in one breath, as Abe Potash entered his button wear-rooms on Tuesday morning. What can I do for you? He seized Abe's right hand in a soft, warm grip, slightly moist, and continued to hold it for the better part of five minutes. "'I come to see you about Shankman,' Abe replied. "'We decided we would have him come to work by us as a shipping clerk.' "'I'm glad to hear it,' said Linkheimer. "'As I told you the other day, I have just been asked by our lodge I belong to if I could help out a young fellow just out of an orphan asylum. He's a big, strong, healthy boy, and he's willing to come to work for half what I'm paying Shankman. So, naturally,' I've got to get rid of Shankman. I wonder how you got time to bother yourself breaking in a new beginner, Abe commented. Linkheimer waggled his head solemnly. I can't help it, Abe, he said. I let my business suffer, but nevertheless, I'm constantly giving the helping hand to those poor inexperienced fellows. I assure you it cost me thousands of dollars in a year, but that's my nature, Abe. I'm all heart. When would you want Shankman to come to work? Right away, Mr. Linkheimer. Very good. I'll go and call him. He rose to his feet and started for the door. Oh, by the way, Abe," he said, as he paused at the threshold, you know, Shankman is a married man with a wife and child, and I understand Mrs. Shankman is inclined to be extravagant. For that reason, I let him live in a house I own on Park Avenue, and I take out the rent each week from his pay. It's really a charity to do so. This amount is $16 a month. "'I suppose you have no objection to sending me four dollars a week out of his wages?' "'Well, I ain't exactly a collecting agency, you understand,' Abe said. "'But I'll see what my partner says. If he's agreeable, I am. "'Only one thing, though, Mr. Linkheimer. "'My partner bothers the life out of me, but I should get from you a recommendation?' "'I'll give you one with pleasure, Abe,' Linkheimer replied, "'but it isn't necessary.' "'He returned to the front of the office and went to the safe.' "'Why, just look here, Abe,' he said. "'I have here in the safe $500 and some small bills, "'which I put in there last night after I come back from Newark. "'It was money I received the day before yesterday "'as chairman of the entertainment committee of a lodge I belong to. "'The safe was unlocked from five to seven last night, "'and Shanklin was in and out here all that time.'" He opened the middle compartment and pulled out a roll of bills. "'You see, Abe,' he said, counting out the money. Here it is. One hundred, two hundred, three hundred, four hundred, and... Here, Mr. Linkheimer paused and examined the last bill carefully, for instead of a hundred-dollar bill, it was only a ten-dollar bill. Well, what do you think of that dirty thief? He cried at last. That shankman is taking a hundred-dollar bill out of here. What? Abe exclaimed. Just as sure as you're sitting there. Linkheimer went on excitedly. That fella Shankman has pinched a hundred dollar bill on me. Here, his academic English completely forsook him, and he continued in the vernacular of the Lower East Side. Always up to now I kept the safe locked on that fella, and for the very first time I get careless. He goes to work and does me four hundred dollars yet. But Abe protested, you might have made a mistake, ain't it? If the fellow took it a hundred dollars? Why don't he turn around and convo the whole four hundred, ain't it? The ten dollars he also might have took it, what? A kind if he couldn't tell what he would do at all. Linkheimer rejoined, and Abe rose to his feet. I'm sorry for you, Mr. Linkheimer, he said, seizing his hat. But I guess I must be getting back to the store. So you shouldn't trouble yourself about this here fellow Shankman. We decided we would get along without him. But Abe's words fell on deaf ears. For as he turned to leave, Mr. Linkheimer threw up the window sash and thrust his head out. "'Police! Police!' he yelled. When Abe arrived at his place of business, after his visit to Max Linkheimer, he found Morris whistling cheerfully over the morning mail. "'Well, Abe,' Morris cried, "'did you see it, Max Linkheimer?' Abe hurriedly took off his hat and coat and, catching the bandaged thumb in the sleeve lining, he swore long and loud. Yes, I see Max Linkheimer. He growled. And I'm sick and tired of the whole business. Go ahead and get a shipping clerk, Morris. I'm through. Why? Morris asked. Wouldn't Linkheimer give a recommendation? Because if he wouldn't, Abe, I'm satisfied we should take this fellow without one. In fact, I'm surprised you didn't bring him along. You are, eh? Abe broke in. Well, you shouldn't be surprised at nothing like that, Morris, because I didn't bring him along for the simple reason, Morris. I don't want no goner working round my place. That's all. What do you mean, goner? Morris cried. The feller ain't no more of a thief as you are, Abe. Abe's mustache bristled, and his eyes bulged so indignantly that they seemed to rest on his cheeks. You should be careful what you say, Morris, he retorted. Maybe he ain't no more a gonif as I am ours, but just the same, he's in jail and I ain't. In jail? Morris exclaimed. What for in jail? Because he stole from Linkheimer a hundred dollars yesterday, Morris, and while I was there yet, Linkheimer finds it out, so naturally he makes this here fella arrested. Yesterday he stole a hundred dollars? Morris interrupted. Yesterday afternoon, Abe repeated. With my own eyes, I seen it the other money which he didn't stole. Then, Morris said, if he stole it yesterday afternoon, Abe, he didn't positively do nothing of the kind. Forthwith, he related to Abe his visit to Shankman's rooms and the condition of poverty that he found. I give you my word, Abe, he said. The fellow didn't got even a chair to sit on. What do you know, Morris, what he got to do and what he didn't got? Abe rejoined impatiently. The fella naturally ain't going to show you the hundred dollars which he stole it. Especially, Morris, if he thinks he could work for you for a couple of dollars more. Say, looky here, Abe. Morris broke in. Don't say again the fella stole a hundred dollars, because I'm telling you once more, Abe, I know he didn't take nothing. Certain, sure. Yeah, Vick, Morris, Abe cried disgustedly. You talk like a fool. Do I? "'Morris shouted. "'All right, ape. "'Maybe I do, and maybe I don't, but just the same. "'So positive I am. "'He didn't done it. "'I'm going right down to Henry D. Feldman, "'and I will fix that fellow Linkheimer. "'He should work a poor half-starved yokel "'for five dollars a week "'and a couple of top-floor tenement rooms, "'which it ain't worth six dollars a month. "'Wait, I'll show that sucker.' "'He seized his hat and made for the elevator door, "'which he had almost reached.' when Abe grabbed him by the arm. "'Morris,' he cried, "'are you crazy? What for you should put yourself out about this here young fella? He ain't the last shipping clerk in existence. You could get plenty good shipping clerks without bothering yourself like this. Besides, Morris, if he did steal it or if he didn't steal it, what difference does it make to us? With the silk-piece goods which we got it around our place, Morris, we couldn't afford it to take no chances.'" "'I ain't taking no chances, Abe,' Morris maintained stoutly, I know this feller ain't took the money. Sure, that's all right, Abe agreed, but you couldn't afford to be away all morning right in the busy season. Besides, Morris, since when did you become to be so charitable all of a sudden? Me? Charitable? Morris cried indignantly. I ain't charitable, Abe. Good hootin'. I leave that to suckers like Max Linkheimer. But when I know a decent, respectable fellow is being put into jail for something which he didn't do at all, Abe, then that's something else again. At this juncture, the elevator arrived, and as he plunged in, he shouted that he would be back before noon. Abe returned to the rear of the loft, where a number of rush orders had been arranged for shipment. Under his instruction and supervision, the stock boy nailed down the top boards of the packing cases. But... In nearly every instance after the case was strapped and stenciled, they discovered they had left one garment out, and the whole process had to be repeated. Thus it was nearly one o'clock before Abe's task was concluded, and although he had breakfasted late that morning, when he looked at his watch he became suddenly famished. I could starve yet, he muttered, for all that fellow cares he walked up and down the showroom floor in an ecstasy of imaginary hunger. And as he was making the hundredth trip, the elevator door opened and Max Linkheimer stepped out. His low-cut waistcoat disclosed that his shirt front, ordinarily of a glossy white perfection, had fallen victim to a profuse perspiration, even his collar had not escaped the flood. And as for his IOMA charm, it seemed positively tarnished say looky here potash he began what do you mean by sending your partner to bail out that ganoff me send my partner out to bail a ganoff? abe exclaimed what are you talking nonsense i ain't talking nonsense linkheimer retorted look at the kinds of conditions i'm in that fellow feldman made a fine monkey out of me in the police court was feldman there too abe asked you don't know i suppose feldman was there Lenkheimer continued, and your partner went on his bail for $2,000. Abe shrugged his shoulders. In the first place, Mr. Lenkheimer, he said. I didn't tell my partner he should do nothing of the kind. He'd done it against my advice, Mr. Lenkheimer. But at the same time, Mr. Lenkheimer, if he wants to go bail for that fellow, you understand? What's it my business? What's it your business? Lenkheimer repeated. Why, don't you know if that fellow runs away, the sheriff could come in here and clear out your place? That's all what abe cried he sat down in the nearest chair and gaped at linkheimer yes sir linkheimer repeated you could be ruined by a thing like that abe's lower jaw fell still further he was too dazed for comment what could i do about it he gasped at length do about it Linkheimer cried. Why, if I had a partner who played me a dirty trick like that, I'd kick him out of my place. There ain't a co-partnership agreement in existence that doesn't expressly say one partner shouldn't give a bail bond without the other partner's consent. Abe rocked to and fro in his chair. After all these years, a fellow should do a thing like that to me, he moaned. Linkheimer smiled with satisfaction and he was about to instance a striking and wholly imaginary case of one partner ruining another by giving a bail bond, when the door leading to the cutting room in the rear opened and Morris Perlmutter appeared. As his eyes rested on Linkheimer, they blazed with anger, and for once Morris seemed to possess a certain dignity. Out, he commanded, out from my store, you dog, you. As he rushed on the startled button dealer, Abe grabbed his coattails and pulled him back. "'Say, what are we here, Morris?' he cried. "'The theater? Let him alone, Abe,' Linkheimer counseled in a rather shaky voice. "'I'm pretty nearly twenty years older than he is, but I guess I can cope with him.' "'You wouldn't cope with nobody around here,' Abe replied. "'If you two want to cope, you should go out on the sidewalk.' "'Never mind,' Morris broke in. His valor now quite evaporated. "'I'll fix him yet.' "'Another thing, Morris,' Abe interrupted. "'Why don't you come in the front way like a man?' "'I come in which way I please, Abe,' Morris rejoined. "'And furthermore, Abe, when I got with me a poor skeleton of a fella like Nathan Shankman, Abe, "'I don't take him up the front elevator. "'I'd be ashamed for our competitors that they should think we let our work people starve. "'The feller actually fainted on me was coming up the freight elevator.' "'As you was coming up the freight elevator?' Abe repeated.' Do you mean to tell me you got the nerve to actually bring this fella into my place yet? Do I gotta get your permission, Abe? I should bring who I wanted to my own place, Morris rejoined. Then all I got to say is you should take him right out again, Abe said. I wouldn't have no gun of him in my place. Once and for all, Morris, I'm telling you, I wouldn't stand for your nonsense. You are given our stock as a bail for this fella. If he runs away on us, the sheriff comes in, and who says I give our stock as a bail for this fella, Morris demanded. I got a surety company bond, abe. Because Feldman says I shouldn't go on no bail bonds, I give the surety company my personal check for a thousand dollars, which they will return when the case is over. That's why I done it-to keep this here Schenkman out of jail, abe. And if it would be necessary to get their Linkheimer into jail, abe, I would have another check for a thousand dollars for keeps. Abe grew somewhat abashed at this disclosure. He looked at Linkheimer, and then at Morris, but before he could think of something to say, the elevator door opened, and Jake stepped out. It was perhaps the first time in all their acquaintance with Jake that Abe and Morris had seen him with his face washed. Moreover, a clean collar served further to conceal his identity, and at first Abe did not recognize his former shipping clerk. Hello, Mr. Potash, Jake said. I'll be with you in a moment, Mr. Abe uh, began. Just take a-why, that's Jake, ain't it? Here he saw a chance for a conversational diversion, and he jumped excitedly to his feet. What's the matter, Jake? he asked. You want your old job back? It don't go so quick as all that, Mr. Potash. Jake answered. I got a good business, Mr. Potash. I carry a fine line of cigars, candy, and stationery. And already I got an offer of twenty-five dollars more as I paid for the business. But I wouldn't take it. Why should I? I took in a lot of money yesterday, and only this morning, Mr. Potter, feller comes in my place, and... Why, there's the fella now. Fella? What do you mean, fella? Abe cried indignantly. That ain't no fella. That's Mr. Max Linkheimer. Sure, I know, Jake explained. He's the feller. I mean half an hour ago i was in his place and they says there he comes up here you he was in mine store this morning mr linkheimer ain't that right and you bought for me a package of all tobacco cigarettes New, no, new, no, jake morris broke in make an end you're interrupting us here jake drew back his coat and clumsily unfastened a large safety pin which sealed the opening of his upper right-hand waistcoat pocket Then he dug down with his thumb and finger and produced a small yellow wad about the size of a postage stamp. Then he proceeded to unfold it, took on the appearance of a hundred-dollar bill. He gives me this here, Jake announced, and I give him the change for a ten-dollar bill. So this here is a hundred-dollar bill, ain't it? And it don't belong to me, which I come downtown, I should give it back to him. What is it mine? I don't want it all. This was perhaps the longest speech that Jake had ever made, and he paused to lick his dry lips for peroration. And so, he concluded, handing the bill to Linkheimer, here it is, and nine dollars and ninety-nine cents, please. Linkheimer grabbed the bill automatically and gazed at the figures on it with bulging eyes. Why, Abe gasped, why Linkheimer? You had four $100 bills and a $10 bill in the safe this morning, ain't it? Linkheimer nodded. Once more, he broke into a copious perspiration as he handed a $10 bill to Jake. And so, Abe went on, and so you must have took a $100 bill out of the safe last night instead of a $10 bill, ain't it? Linkheimer nodded again. And so you made a mistake, ain't it? Abe cried this here feller shankman didn't took no money out of that safe at all ain't it for the third time linkheimer nodded and abe turned to his partner what do you think of that feller?" he said nodding his head in linkheimer's direction morris shrugged and abe plunged his hands into his trouser pockets and glared at linkheimer so linkheimer he concluded you made a sucker out of yourself and of me too, ain't it? I'm sorry, Abe," Linkheimer muttered, as he folded away the hundred-dollar bill in his wallet. "I bet you he's sorry," Morris interrupted. "I'd be sorry too if I would have got a lawsuit on my hands like he's got it." "What do you mean?" Linkheimer cried. "I ain't got no lawsuit on my hands, not yet." morris said significantly but when feldman hears of this you would quick get a summons for a couple of thousand dollars damages which you done this young fellow shankman by making him false arrested it ain't no more than you deserve linkheimer abe added you're lucky i don't sue you for trying to make trouble between me and my partner yet for one brief moment linkheimer regarded abe sorrowfully There were few occasions to which Linkheimer could not do justice with a cut-and-dried sentiment or a well-worn aphorism, and he was about to expatiate on ingratitude in business when Abe forestalled him. "'Another thing I want to say to you, Linkheimer,' Abe said, "'you shouldn't wait until the first of the month to send us a statement. Mail it tonight yet, because we give you notice we close your account right here and now.'" One week later, abe and morris watched nathan shankman driving nails into the top of a packing-case with a force and precision of which jake had been wholly incapable for seven days of better housing and better feeding had done wonders for nathan yes abe morris said as they turned away i think we made a find in that boy and we also done a charity too some people's got an idea abe that business is always business but with me I think differently you can never make no big success in business unless you got a little sympathy for a fellow once in a while ain't it abe nodded i give you right mars he said end of chapter one